one. Welcome to the Man on Second Podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Fersaro, joined as always by co-host and producer Dave D'Agostino. As always, our mission here at the channel is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. And we have a treat today with our very special guest, Nationals Director of Player Procurement, Casey McKeon. Casey's one of the top evaluators in the game. He's been with Washington for a long time, son of Jack McKeon. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, Casey's path, Jack McKeon, and why he should be in the Hall of Fame. We're going to address all this. But before we bring in Casey, I'm going to bring in Dave with some announcements. Dave, how you doing? Great, Joe. Uh, th- and thanks to Casey for coming on. We have a, a bunch of our hosts uh, had some great things to say about him. Bob Schaefer, Jim Cott, Kevin Kernan. Um, it's got a lot, a lot of fans just in our host, uh, our hosts alone. So, before we start with Casey, just want to thank our audience quickly: sixty thousand subscribers, grassroots MLB front offices, seventy-four countries. Thanks for your support. Make sure you give Joe five stars after the show. Write some great comments because we do battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. You made us a part iHeartRadio's very powerful podcast network. Let's keep us there. Move us up the lineup a little bit with your support today. And to Blackout Coffee, our very first partner that we decided to bring on. Uh, we, we really resisted bringing on sponsors for the longest time. We brought on Blackout Coffee. They won me over with their slogan, Be Awake, Not Woke. I'm drinking their espresso right now. If you use the code DAVID, capital D-A-V-I-D, with the number 20 after it at checkout, they'll give you 20% off your purchase. You can buy as much as you want. Pass the code out for all I care to your friends. Let's support these guys. Anybody that loves coffee, loves baseball, and gives me a discount, they're a friend for life, Joe. There you go. Yeah, uh, we got an order come in, and I think it might arrive today or certainly in the next day or two. My wife uh, put her um, coffee, um, she she ordered it the other day. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So with, uh, with no further ado, I, you know, Casey McKeon is someone I've wanted to get on the show for for a while. I've known Casey a long, long time. But uh, in the world of baseball, scouts are very busy uh, during the season. Now it's the off season. And um, quick background on Casey McKeon. Uh, started off with um, he's worked with San Diego, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Colorado. Will George, who does our show, uh, he noted the other day when he found out Casey was on the show, he was very anxious to hear what Casey has to say. And currently with the Washington Nationals, um, Casey, welcome, my friend. Glad to have you on the show, buddy. Hi, right, Joe. I appreciate it. And Dave, uh, uh, I've been uh, tuning in for quite a while, and I follow Will uh, Will George a lot as well. So it, it uh, uh, it's it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Jack, but I know, Casey, I know you were out in, in Arizona. We want to just kind of get your feel before we talk about your dad and then some other things about the sport. Um, I was out there uh, for the uh, fall star game. I saw another game or two out in Arizona. I was just, and I know you were, you were out there for a while to, uh, on assignment and such. 
but just kind of your overall opinion of, of the fall league this year, just my takeaway and a little bit of time I had there, it just kind of lacked a little something from past years. It seemed like uh, we had Chris Carminucci on last week with Arizona. He said that he had been hearing a lot of teams didn't send their top guys and, and, and then you, it's kind of become a hitter's league, not a ton of, you know, high-end pitching. And, you know, just kind of your thoughts. Did you find the, the fall league was was what it was? And obviously we want to see the fall league succeed and be, you know, really special. So just want to get your take on the fall league. Well, Joe, i tell you what. It, the dynamic of the league has kind of changed since since its inception where, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a place where you, you sent your top – you know, uh, however many you, you could have five, six, seven, eight players. And, and that's where, you know, the best of the best were going now over the last few years, it, and, 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 and no, nobody's fault. I don't think it just has become a, a situation where we're so engaged with modern term players, their at bats, their innings, their, the, the wear and tear on their bodies that uh, it's, and we have the winter leagues that we kind of control with, you know, who, who we want to play and who we don't want to play. Uh, the rule five obviously plays into it where, you know, some clubs don't want to expose their, their guys that are, that, that really need, uh, you know, the extra couple weeks. Um, but you don't want to, you don't want to expose them maybe to the rule five draft and, and, and let other clubs see them. And, and so it's kind of taken a, a different Avenue, uh, whether or not we can get back to, you know, to the grassroots, so to speak, I'm not sure. Um, it's still, you know, it's still a quality league. There's still quality arms. There's quality players. Uh, you know, it's, it's becoming a breeding ground for coaches as well. You know, strength and conditioning guys, coordinators, uh, uh, you know, the whole work. So, you know, th- there's definitely value. Um, was it, or is it what it used to be? No, but, but there's still, you know, I know our club, we, we, you know, we value, you know, the players we send out and, and, you know, the one-on-one ability, you know, the, the one-on-one time we can get to, to stress certain stuff or, uh, you know, maybe pitch selection, maybe work on breaking balls, hitters, you know, maybe maybe changing the setup a little bit. So it definitely has value. No, that, that's great insight and, and a really good perspective. You know, I, I kind of talked to, you know, with some of the scouts and people I know there. Uh, out there, obviously, you know, you, you find, I know from an eva- from your seat where, where scouts sit, where evaluators sit, and, you know, you kind of sit around a lot of these games, the nine-inning game is the traditional game, obviously, but sometimes it's a dread to sit through nine innings, and then you don't necessarily want to make it a seven-inning game. You think of like an eight-inning game, you know, is there anything, I don't know if there's always enough arms, <laughs> enough at-bats, uh, you know, is there anything that could be, you know, we've seen them do it with the you know, at the uh, the Futures game, making it like a seven-inning, eight-inning game. Uh, you think that they could tinker with anything like that? Well, well I think there's value to it. I know they did it this year. Like uh, maybe the Saturday games, they cut to seven innings or, you know, something predetermined, which, which uh, you know, then, you know, uh, generally your, your start – I mean, your pitchers aren't – your starters aren't going more than four innings generally. I mean, they're, you know, on some occasions guys went five, but um, – you know, I think, I think, yeah, I do think there's something to it. Maybe I know it's been tossed out the the double headers, the two seven in a double headers. I mean, there's some avenues that could be addressed that that could benefit both parties as far as uh, uh, you know, clubs always worrying about their innings. You know, the, the pitchers are getting or, or how many pitches or or, uh, or you know the hitters or you know we some guys only play three times a week. Uh, you know, you have the extra player that that gets in maybe twice a week and. Uh, you know, there's some tinkering that can be done. 
you know, eventually you know, I've, I've always been an advocate of, of, you know, you have a West coast in Arizona why don't we have something in Florida? And, and, uh, and obviously it's a, it's a cost issue as well to the clubs and, and, um, you know, something could be addressed, but, but I mean, there's benefits all the way around, whether it's seven or nine. I mean, you know, from a scouting standpoint, obviously, you know, with the pitch clocks and everything else, but, but when you're, when you're dealing with the fall league and guys working on stuff or, for example, low A ball where, you know, these guys don't have, you know, the ability to locate the ball wherever they want to. So even though you have a pitch clock and, and you're still getting three and a half hour games in, in, in the lower minor leagues. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. Uh, that's great perspectives and uh, just kind of shed some light as the fall league is kind of, uh, you know, run, you know, another year of the fall league is in the books. I did definitely want to address that with Casey. Now I want to just kind of kind of shift gears and, and talk about your dad, about Jack McKee, and obviously a legend. Um, you know, I've probably told you this before, you know, the McKee family, as you guys know, are very, very dear to my family and myself the way your dad is and the way you as well have treated my family when you meet them, either at the winter meetings or in, you know, this, you know, when, when Jack was managing here uh, and I make no bones about it. I kind of got my first years covering the Marlins uh, year two was when Jack came in and, you know, basically for three years, every, before every game, I would sit there right after the, the interview with the, with the manager and sit with Jack and, and just talk baseball, whoever was in that small group. And that kind of really formed my perspective of, of baseball. And um, and obviously your dad, is, you know, Jack's going to be turning, what, 93, I believe, in a not, couple of not, weeks. Not 93, and, and uh, we're going to be on a cruise here in a, in a couple uh, – gosh, not even – we'll be leaving uh, Sunday or the following Sunday. No, no, actually this Monday. Okay. Head on yeah, the cruise, so, yeah. So that that's obviously great. And Jack, after seven decades in Pro Bowl, said enough. I know more most recently he's been with the Nationals in a like an advisory role. So you know, kind of you know, talk about you know your dad's decision. Why now? Because just like a year ago, he's saying ninety two is too young to retire. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, you know, we had a bunch of changes here in Washington, and and. and um, and we, we were doing some things differently, but you know, honestly, you know, throughout the year, he, you know, he travels with me to, to, uh, to go see our affiliates, our minor league clubs and, and, you know, we'll get on the field and, you know, he has the opportunity to, to, you know, to work with the managers. And I mean, really he's a sounding board more than work. Um, you know, he's there. He, if they want to ask questions, he sees the kids, you know, and of course nowadays, most of these young players really don't realize who he is. I mean, you're talking now, uh, uh, we were laughing the other day. It's like 20 years since the World Series, you know, and you're like, wow, golly, it, you know, it just seems like it was the other day in 2003. But, but um, you know, I think what was it, maybe October 29th or, or, or something the, the, when they clinched it against the, uh, the Yankees. But he, uh, you know, he, he really felt guilty. You know, he would tell me you know, every day, gosh, man, I, you know, you know, Mike Rizzo has been unbelievable. The Lerner family, he says, but I'm not doing anything. So I think he was just, he was just ready to, to kind of just shut it down anyway. Yeah. I mean, his legacy and, and, you know, you know, I advocate for it. You, you've noted it, uh, you know, when, when you sit around and you think about a hall of fame career and, and baseball, I really wish that they would give Jack some serious consideration. And I know he's kind of in that kind of tweener thing where, 
you know, like Don Mattingly finds himself in, you know, his playing career didn't go as long. And then you're going to evaluate Donnie as a manager and now a bench coach and, and, you know, in Jack's situation. But when you talk about a lifetime of work, I just want to kind of get it out there of just how an amazing career Jack McKeon has had and what an ambassador for baseball he has been. And, and I don't think it's hyperbole, hyperbolic and I think it's deserving of serious consideration when you talk about a two-time manager of the year, a World Series champ with one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, if not the lowest at the time, with the Marlins in 03, beating the Yankees. I still think to date that is the greatest payroll discrepancy in any of the four major sports here of a underdog beating a, a favorite in, in terms of dollar. I think the Yankees payroll was about $200 million to the Marlins, which was about $50 million that year. And, and, you know, him as an executive, uh, you know, putting together World Series teams as a GM in San Diego and, you know, doing it pretty much at all low payroll type teams. So you just speak to your dad and obviously, you know, you know, just kind of make his pitch. And what what are we what are we missing or what are people that make that decision missing? Well, I mean, I, I think you 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 hit the nail on the head, really. Just uh, I won't say a tweener, but. You know, for me, it's like, what is the definition of a Hall of Famer? If you if you want to really break it down, you know, you can look at managers in the past that that weren't successful with certain clubs. They go to other clubs and they become successful. Then they become Hall of Fame managers. And then you look at their overall records and some of them are below 500. You know, so, you know, what are you going to base a Hall of Famer on? And and to me, Joe and Dave, I mean, obviously it's, it's a biased opinion, but you know, I look at the overall the overall track record and the overall uh, sum of, of of his work. You know, uh, I believe in and that he's the only guy that's ever won a thousand games in the major leagues and in the minor leagues, which which will never happen again because well, I think Snicker might do it. Okay, be, but he'll be well, the only yeah, one. Okay, he yeah, would be right, the only other right. one, and he hasn't done it yet at the big league level. Yeah, you're right. Okay, and and. And it would be somebody like 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 him uh, that has spent his dues in in the minor leagues and finally you know was rewarded in Atlanta, which you know Snitz is is unbelievable person and 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 well deserved what he gets in Atlanta because um, you know he true you know again he he's a baseball lifer and and, a, and somebody that just enjoys the game. But you know, getting back to Jack, I mean, again, bias, but you know. Taking the field, you know, my gosh, I think at 20, you know, player manager when maybe he was 20 or 21 years old and and uh, and doing it back in the days when when, you know, you were the manager, but you were also in charge of, you know, trying to create some some activities for the fans and, and entertainment and and, you know, barnstorming in the minor leagues and then, you know, gets his opportunity in San Diego you know, builds a contender in San Diego as a as a general manager that gets to the World Series, obviously in 1984, and 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 lose to Detroit, and and then uh, you know, and then I believe he he might have been the only the last guy that's ever held the title, the official title anyway, as a general manager and a manager within the same season, and I think he did that for a couple of years in, in maybe 88, 89, 90, uh, those years in San Diego. And, you know, before that, it was, you know, it wasn't un, un, it wasn't uh, something that wasn't, so, oh my gosh, Whitey Herzog, it was Jack and Whitey Herzog. There were a few guys in that era 
that held uh, both jobs. Maybe Dallas Green, maybe. Um, well, Dan Jennings did in Miami, but that was a very unique circumstance. Right, but I, but I you know I talked to Danny about it too, though. But I don't think he ever had the official titles. Yeah. You know, as a general manager, I know he was acting. Yeah. You know, but but. Uh, yeah, Mike held over him technically. Right, but you know, and, and of course, you know, nowadays you you have the president and the GM and and you know and three or four assistant GMs and vice presidents. You know, the the game is is you know. It's become a titled game, which is which is fine. Um, yeah. But but again, Jack, I mean, the body of work to me and the definition of a Hall of Famer, then then obviously I think he should be at least at least considered, you know. Um, and and I guess now would be the what formerly was the Veterans Committee that will have to uh, somehow get his name on the ballot or at least you know consideration. He'll yeah. he'll never you know and and he will never advocate anything. Uh, as far as his own benefit, you know, no, he has to, he has no, to leave he's it just to us too and humble in that him. regard. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Jack's body of work speaks for itself. I mean, here's a man who, in case you know, Jack made it very clear. Like, just when I sit there and talk to him, I may bring something up, and like, who am I? Okay, I'm a sports writer, and I I sit there and I'll bring an observation up to him. He'd take it to heart, and if he thought it had merit. He would implement whatever it was, but he was telling me, you know, grounds crew people would would point. He never was too big because you've talked to, and we've all talked to people that they'll never listen to the opinion. They have it all figured out. Jack, you know, he would, you know, he'd pick up something just talking to somebody. Said, "Hey, you know, in this little corner of the outfield, there's this little divot or whatever." Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, Jack's bringing it to the officials because, hey, what if the ball gets lost in there? You know, he he was so astute and is so astute in that regard. And, you know, just things like that. He, he's so beloved by all the fan bases, you know, obviously he's iconic in San Diego. He's iconic here in Miami, Cincinnati, obviously, you know, he's just what he's done for the sport and, and his influence and, and look at your, the McKeon family, obviously you, and, and what's the family tree you got, how many McKeons are working in pro ball right now? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. My, my other nephew is, is uh, currently with the Phillies. So, um, and we have two more that are still trying to break in, but they're still in baseball. So it, it, um, no, you're, you're right. And again, uh, the body of work, the, the, you know, the, the definition of hall of famer, I mean, you know, he managed five different decades in, in, in the major leagues and, you know, five different eras. He's, he's, he's been through everything. So, you know, the, again, the de- it's what the definition is and what the Hall thinks the definition is. And, and you know, to me, it's, it's gosh, Lee, you know, I mean, he's done about every every job there there is in, in the game, you know, from general manager, assistant general manager, scout director. He's, he's signed big leaguers as a scout. Uh, um, you know, I guess I don't know if he ever was a farm director, but it was, you know, they didn't have those titles back then. So he, he pretty much did a lot of that work, the groundwork. And, yeah. uh, and and to me, that's just that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, how many decades uh, in in the game of baseball? Yeah, exactly. And it's not a, not like he's been a compiler. He's you know he, he is he's been very much valued wherever he is. Uh, let's bring Dave in. Dave. Yeah, Casey, you and I shared a story before. We didn't go into it, but I, I made you aware of it. One of our other co-hosts on the show, Jim Cop has very fond memories of, of your dad. Plus, uh, 
is very aware of the impact he made on him as a player. And of course, Jim recently went into the Hall of Fame. Would you be okay sharing the story that uh, has become, I guess, popular in that inner circle? But your dad, I think, was 24 years old when he was a player manager in the yes. minors. So when you say a thousand wins in the minors, people have to understand, number one, that's hard. You've got to last long and you got to be pretty good. But he was uh, doing it at a very young age, 24 years old, player manager, and was a catcher. And uh, he, he had he had some interesting advice for Jim Kyle. Would you mind sharing that story? Well, yeah. And, and, and again, Dave, I mean, you know, he, he thinks the world of Jim Codd. I mean, he, he was when, when, when Jim got inducted into the hall of fame, or at least when, you know, they notified him that he was going to be inducted to the hall of fame. I think one of his first few calls was, you know, was to Jack and, and, you know, meant the world that he invited him up to, to go watch him and, and for the ceremony. And, and at the same time, he had Tony Oliva there too, which, you know, he played an integral part in, in, and uh, Oliva's career as well in, uh, in coming through the minor leagues. But, you know, he always talks about, and, and it's, it's really, it's relevant. Uh, and every ballpark we go to when I'm with him, the, the same story comes up. And and it's relevant because of, of the way our, our, the way we're developing young pitchers now and, and the, 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 I don't know how to phrase the right word, but the way we are, trying to pamper and take care of the arms and, and not much stress. And, and, uh, you know, guys are going four innings and that's it as starters. And, and, uh, you know, we'll sit there at every minor league ballpark and, and, you know, a pitching coordinator will be sitting there and the guy will have five innings in and one hit, no runs and, and they'll take them out. And Jack will look at the guy and say, well, what are you taking them out for? Well, he needs, uh, he needs this. He, he goes, well, you know, how, how the heck is he ever going to learn? How's he going to learn to get in trouble, learn how to get out of trouble, which, which leads you into the, you know, the segue into the cot story was, I think cot was, might've been 19 years old and, and, and had, you know, struggled a little bit and, and was struggling some and, and, and either previous outings and, and this one particular outing, I think he, he, you know, he, he thinks he's done. He's got the base loaded and I think he might've given up a couple of runs already. And, and Jack goes to the mound and, and, you know, Cot tells him, I, uh, sorry, Skip, sorry. He goes, where are you going? He goes, look, if you ever going to pitch in the big leagues, you, you better figure out how to get these guys out here. You know, I'm not taking you out. You, you, you got yourself into it. You learn how to get yourself out of it. And I think, uh, and that's the gist of the whole story. And, and, yeah. and Cot tells it, you know, and, and, and I think he, 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 you know, put in this hall of fame speech and, just said, Hey, it was at that moment, you know, I realized, man, you know, if, if I'm going to get to the big leagues, I better learn how to pitch. I better learn how to get these guys out. And, and that's what's happening now, you know, with a lot of our younger guys is that we're not, we're not, um, you know, we're not challenging them, I think enough or putting them into those kind of situations. And, and uh, it seems to me, at least, I think some organizations as I traveled this year are starting to get back to that, um, you know, that situation where they're leaving guys out and challenging them. And, you know, you're not so worried about their record or their ERA. And, you know, when you develop players, you can't worry about that stuff. I mean, you know, the fields are different, the ballparks, the wind conditions, you know, you're out in the Pacific Coast League. I mean, you know, the ball flies. You can't worry about ERAs and, and things like that. And, you know, as Will George will tell you, we worked in Colorado for, you know, I did for eight years. I mean, it's, you know, that's a whole different ballpark. You know, especially when when we were there before they, you know, they uh, uh, put the balls in the humidifier. 
or humidor. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a, it's a great story on, uh, it's, it's kind of a nice chronicle on our times now, as you mentioned, it, are, when you're out there scouting grassroots players, is that figured it out, figured out gene, is that being cultivated at the grassroots level? Um, <sighs> minor leagues and, and, and how do you detect it? How do you, what are you looking for to find out about that makeup? Well, well, pitchers, it's, you know, it's a little bit harder now because again, like I said, the younger arms, we're not challenging them. And, and, and rightfully so, I think, because, you know, there's that age period between 18 and, and 21 where, you know, your college kids have had time to, to gosh, their bodies to mature, you know, become, you know, to get their man muscles, as we like to say, the high school kids, you know, you're, they're adapting to a new five man rotation or, or, you know, some clubs are going back to the six man, but, but still the day to day grind, the playing every day. So, you know, we're trying to cultivate it a little bit more. Um, and it, and it's, it's coming back into baseball. Uh, the hitters, it's a little bit easier, like from a scouting standpoint, you know, the situational hitting, uh, the grinding out at bats, the, the, the little things that, that you can't see, uh, on, on paper, but you know, how do you react, you know, based, you know, are you willing to give up yourself in an at bat to get the run in, you know, you're not going to see that anywhere else, but, but in the stands, you can see it, you know, uh, moving a runner over, you know, bunting on your own sack flies, you know, the little things it's funny. And I hate, I don't want to keep going on and on and on, but I, I was listening to a broadcast not too long ago and it might've been, I can't remember who it was, but it, it just, it was so spot on because you're watching a game. Uh, great opportunity to bump, move some runners over, you know, tie a close game. They don't do it. They don't score. And then uh, the the announcer was a former pitcher, big league guy, the all-star. I can't remember. Who it was, but he's like, that's funny. He says, we'll see this right now. But once the, once the playoff starts, you're going to see guys bunting. <laughs> you're going to see them bunting, moving runners over. And, and it made sense because, you know, th- there's no stats in the playoffs anymore. Now it's about winning. You know, and during the season, it's it's about you know putting the numbers up, and it's it's an interesting it was an interesting take, and I, I it really hit home for me. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's so interesting. So many things come through my head, Casey, as I hear you talking, and it's bringing triggering little you know snapshots. I remember that Jack would do when when you know just in recent years, and uh, you know his last few years in Miami, for instance. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you what what you think it is about him that he could see the evaluation of players. He's a very he's a great great evaluator, but he sees qualities outside of just tools. And I'll give you two examples. Uh, the year that the the Marlins they kind of tore it down, and one of the many years they did, and I think it was 13 when they got real young, and they you know they they had a bunch of kids, and Marcelo Zuna had yet to hit the big leagues. Uh, Christian Yelich and Marcelo Zuna were both in. Uh, double A or triple A at the time. And a lot of buzz was for Yelich to come up first. Mm-hmm. And Jack would told me, he goes, Ozuna's the most ready. Now you get up to the big leagues. He's going to hit 25 homers a year for you. And as fate had it now, Stanton got hurt early. Ozuna came up at 20 home runs. He was now obviously Yelich, great, great player, but he saw it real early when no one else was talking about Marcel Ozuna. He was on Ozuna. Um, the year that the, that uh, the Marlins was the second pick. Uh, they, they took um, uh, uh, Ty, uh, Kolek, uh, 
uh, Coley, the, the big hard throwing yeah. pitcher from Texas, yeah. who yeah. with the second overall pick, and he never amounted anything uh, into anything, and and you know obviously not a proud moment in their career. But that year, uh, Carlos Rodon was high on the board, and and Jack yeah. saw NC State play a lot. And I'm like Jack, they're talking a lot about this Coley kid. What would you do if you're the Marlins? He goes, he goes. I'd take Trey Turner. I'd hit him, you know, and I'd have my shortstop and, and leadoff hitter for a decade. Yeah, no yeah. one was talking about Trey Turner. He went about eighth or ninth uh, that year. However, he got he got picked. But yeah, Jack yeah. was so far ahead, even you know, in his eighties at the time. You know, seeing and evaluating players at a higher level than than those making the, the ultimate decisions. So, what, my question to you is, you know, what did you see in your dad that, that he could really spot talent? Golly, you know, I, I mean, it's interesting because he, he, I think a lot of the times when he managed them anyway, the the younger players, he he just got them relaxed. You know, there there were some years there where he had non-competitive teams. I mean, he made them competitive, but they weren't, you know, they weren't supposed to win. You know, he, he was in Kansas City and he had some young players, but you know, that's when you know Oakland had their dynasty in '72, three and four. I mean, you know, the 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 three what World Series in a row or. And then he 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 was in Cincinnati finally, you know, and they, and they had that winning team in '99, which was unique, you know, because he had the Pokey Reese. He had some young players, but he had also had some good veterans. That it was a good mix. But you know, the evaluation part it's interesting. So he, you know, that year you, you're talking about Joe. He uh, he filled in a couple of games up for Team USA in in Raleigh, so he had the opportunity to see you know uh, Trey and 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 Carlos Rodon up close. So that might have had a little bit. Of, that might have helped him a little bit as far as uh, uh, the insight to, to what kind of people they were, what kind of players they were. You know, the, their their inner fire, I guess, is what is what he kind of sees with some players, and the, and the intelligence part. I mean, you know, the, the he just, you know, he has an idea and a knack for the guys that that, that are going to figure it out. You know, the the intelligence part of it. You know, it doesn't have to be book smart, Harvard, Yale type, but just you know, the, the street smarts and that's, you know, that's what he was and that's how he grew up, you know, working on a, you know, working in a gas station to make money, help his dad in the garage. And then, you know, and then running a wrecker and, 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 you know, and throwing little decoys out to other people. So they, they think there's a wreck somewhere else. And he was going to the real wreck, you know, you know, the, the little misdirection, the, the stories that we hear that, that, uh, uh, that you could do back in the day, you probably can't. You can't do it now, but yeah, those no, little things. I mean, yeah, I guess that's to answer your question. I don't know that I can pinpoint it exactly, but but, but how much does that influence you? I mean, because you could kind of he has that feel for seeing a player, and I and I think this. He told me a story. He goes, look, he said when he was in San Diego as the GM, if they were going to make a trade on a player, um, he might send his top two scouts. One scout goes out, likes the guy. Next scout goes out, doesn't like the guy. Both guys report to, back to Jack. They give their assessment. Then Jack said, I would go out. And he said, no disrespect to either one of them, but I'm making the call. Because yeah. he said, if it doesn't pan out, my butt's on the line for that, that trade. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's not far-fetched in, in any part of our industry as, as far as, you know, day to day and in the evaluation, that's what makes it so hard. But, you know, and that's what makes it the GM job, you know, a difficult job because, you know, it does happen. We have it every day in our, in our club and, and every club, you know, where you have guys, you know, disagreements in the draft, 
you know, you'll have players that, that you know, same thing. I mean, that, you know, that's no secret. Um, it's just a matter of having, you know, uh, who has a, who has a stronger feeling for or against. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about the, the Trader Jack persona and what, what Jack uh, did to kind of make the winter meetings a little more exciting. Well, so I was in San Diego and I was, I was a, gosh, I was a, maybe a sophomore, sophomore juniors in high school in those years. And, you know, the winter meetings, I, I, I can't predate them as to what they really were. I just remember uh, one year in San Diego and, and going down with him and, you know, they called it work in the lobby and, and, you know, and that was, that's what you did back in those days. The, all the GMs are in the lobby and that, you know, Everybody smoked. You could smoke in the lobbies back then, and 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 they were making trades. You know, they were making trades at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Over, you know, over a cocktail and and just saying, let's you know, napkins and let's get it done. And then I think it was one of those years he made one of those him and him and Whitey made that thirteen player trade, St. Louis, and and it kind of just started sparking everything. Sid Thrift was part of that. Dallas Green, you know those. They were all the, the GMs in, in those days. And, and you know, it, it kind of started, I guess, from the media standpoint, uh, you know, started picking up on it. And the winter meetings started becoming a, a gosh, uh, an event. You know, the winter event is what, is what everybody went to. And then obviously you've seen what it transpired into, you know, since then. You know, now it's, now it's getting back to a little less um, – Oh, less important, I guess. Maybe it's, it's not the right word, but you know, with the GM, you know, the GM meetings last week, and then you know, next week or two weeks, you have the 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 um, I'm sorry, the yeah, the GM meetings, and then now you have the winter meetings. So uh, it's not as much a, a relevance anymore because a lot of the trade, a lot of the groundwork's already been laid. Yeah, yeah, Dave. Yeah, I, I, you, when you brought up Trader Jack, I was thinking the same thing, Joe. My first encounter with a professional baseball scout uh, was through the book Trader Jack. Casey, I had a <laughs> scout follow me back. We were in, I was probably a ninth grader. This was in the mid to late 80s, uh, right in that range. Followed me back uh, from Gloversville, New York, uh, to our high school. We were in the state championship, and I was a little second baseman, barely 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. If I weighed 115 pounds, I'd be surprised. Switch batter. And had a good game. A guy was going to Georgia. I got two hits off him, stole a base, made a couple plays. But a, a Padre scout followed me all the way back to the school. He was probably there watching five other guys because there were some guys that looked like pro players there. And he waited for the bus to get off. And I walked off the bus and he grabbed me, handed me that book. And I'm pretty certain he signed it in his car. I don't think your dad signed it and sent it to him for me. But uh, he said uh, it was a Trader Jack book. And it said, uh, yours in baseball, Jack McKee. And then the scout signed it on the other side. Said you'd be his kind of player. Keep playing hard. We'll keep watching. And, oh, was, uh, all, yep. and what he liked about it, you mentioned your dad had a certain kind of player. Um, he liked. He said, "Hey, I loved how he didn't mention anything about my hits. And I loved. I loved your approach at the plate. I loved the way you hustled on and off your field. I loved the way you took coaching from your coach. I loved the way you took ground balls in between innings from your first baseman. You threw everyone like the, like it was hard." And then when he said that, um, "We'll be watching." That was something my my dad was a coach. He always said he goes, "You never know who's watching." And the, the, the kicker was he sat behind my parents, I guess, in the stands. Mm-hmm. And he never knew it till later. My dad was like, who's that guy? And I was like, oh, that was a scout from the Padres. He goes, oh, that was the guy who sat behind us the whole game. And 
thank God my parents were quiet. They just sat and watched games, didn't say a word up there, didn't uh, barely clap sometimes. But so when you say his kind of player, that, that book means even more to me. I still got it on my shelf. I was looking for the card from the scouts. He gave me his card. I know I've got it around the house somewhere. Oh, that'd be interesting to find that out who that was. Yeah, it was, uh, and and he did follow too. I remember him showing up at college games, and and uh, and I'm sure he was an influence, and in, and in, uh, at least in terms of you know the network of when I got a chance to sign and play. But uh, yeah, his kind of player. Describe describe a little bit of detail. Um, sorry to go on a soliloquy about me, Joseph, about Casey. Not, no, no, not there was a connection, but um, with the influx of analytics, that's a big topic on our show, and. Uh, how have you used that and how do you navigate that to, to, to really complement the years of experience you have with your eyes, your gut, you know, you being on the field as a pro player, countless years, you know, observing talent from grassroots to big league. How, what, what parts of that do you use to help uh, enhance your already uh, innate abilities? Uh, interesting. So, you know, when we went through the pandemic, and again, you know, so I'm 56 years old I'm, and I'm starting, you know, I'm kind of, uh, oh gosh, I don't even know the word, but I'm kind of aging myself into the, 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 the pre-analytics era of how we learned how to scout and, and you know, getting to know the players. And, and it was all walks and strikeouts and contact. And, you know, and we didn't have the spin rates and everything that we have today. But um, so during the, uh, during the, the pandemic, when everything kind of shut down, you know, we were, we were, as far as an organization, um, kind of, I mean, you know, we, we took it upon ourselves, our, our, our leadership group up top, Mike and, and uh, uh, Mike Rizzo and Eddie Longos and, and Mark Shalab and, and, and all the guys uh, that, that sit up in the office every day. And they said, hey, you know, let's, let's, let's get these guys into the, uh, you know, we were doing all these classes online, you know, the, the passing these tests. Oh, gosh, I mean, all kinds of rap sodos. I mean, everything. Anything they could put us into to kind of just, you know, we, we were a veteran staff in, in Washington. Mike Rizzo has brought in, you know, a lot of, um, a, a lot of, you know, like I said former scouting directors, former farm directors, you know, on his, onto his scouting staff. So, um, you know, he was catching us up to to what was really going on in baseball and and in which direction we were heading. You know, he still wants our opinion. He still wants our eyes on the, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, and and. And digging around and 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 using our contacts, using our information to to you know do it the old way. You know, talk to your buddy, your buddy's buddy, and you know get on the field and you know guys you played with and and say, hey man, you know, you know we tell our we tell our coaches not to not to give away too much information, but you know you can read body language on 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 stuff and like, hey man, you know, what do you got? You know, simple questions, not nothing. You know, don't don't give me your trade secrets. But just, you know, I, I want to get a feel for what am I looking at and, and is this guy going to live up to his hype or is he not going to live up to his hype or or is this player going to be an overachiever? You know, I mean, there, there's, you know, the majority of guys in the big leagues are overachievers, you know, guys that, that grind it out and, and just become winners. Yeah, it's good I get, stuff. I get on uh, rants. I sorry about that. I just started getting on rants and just started. No, that's exactly <laughs> what we wanted. Our our audience is very, um, you know, we have a young audience too, so they've grown up really knowing. They see this stuff on TV all the time. When there's a base hit, you got nine stats on the right of the screen. You got another four up top, and and uh, so that's their language now. So I um, I think it's important for them to hear too, because somebody like yourself, like you said, you you're, you 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 spent years 
doing it, uh, you know, the boots on the ground way. And, um, there is a, I think without that, without what you can do, as I tell the young kids too, analytics is not math. It's supposed to be a language. And without guys like yourself who understand what it was like to be a player, understand what it was like to be a coach, understand what it's like to be on that field and have done it for so long, the, 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 the analytics are just numbers, but with somebody like yourself, they become words, they become a story, they become hopefully a way to develop a player. Well, I, I'll give you one example. I mean, I, I say example, but you know, I signed Sean Casey a long time ago. But and and me coming through as a, as a scout, and I was a young scout, and and I was just looking at his stats, you know, and and I think at that time he maybe had two hundred and twenty eight at bats, and maybe maybe maybe. 12 strikeouts. I can't remember the exact number, but it was, it was 50 well, something walks and 12. I mean, it was a ridiculous low number of strikeouts per at bats. And I remember, you know, Jay Robertson was my scouting director and I remember selling it to him, you know, because Sean bless his heart, you know, wasn't the most gifted athlete and a lot of clubs ran away from that, you know, because, you know, he, he just, gosh, his swing wasn't gorgeous, you know, like Griffey's, but he, he had the innate ability just to put the barrel on the ball, left-handers, right-handers, it didn't matter. And, and that was my selling point to, 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 uh, to Jay was like, man, this guy, this guy draws walks. He puts the ball in play, you know, he's six foot four. He's going to have some power eventually, you know, and he did, I mean, and became a great player in the big leagues, but, but, uh, it was just funny. If you look back now, you're like, man, I was way ahead of the games at analytics. I didn't know, golly, I didn't, I couldn't tell you. I just knew he, I know he put the ball in, he put the ball in play and he drew walks. Yeah. Your eyes didn't have to tell you he had he barreled it up or um and, and that's I think what gets lost sometimes. We the game gets overcomplicated for the sake of overcomplicating and it, it's as simple as you put the ball in play, like you said, he found himself on base and when that happens defense is in trouble. Oh, David's great though, because you know, his range was it was a you know, two, three range maybe at the most. But it's, oh, you know, the cross checkers, hey, he can't move. He doesn't move very well. I'm like, dude, he saves more ball. You know, you just start making up stuff. Oh, he can pick balls out of the dirt. I mean, I mean, he just, he saves more throws. You know, I get it. He don't, he, and you just come up with avenues because as a, back then as an area scout, I mean, you had to fight for your players because, you know, Joe Bracero in Florida, he's fighting for the same type of player, you know, and, 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 and Dave up in New York, he's fighting for that, you know, another guy that looks just like Casey. And you're like, golly. So you had to come up a ways back then, Scout. And now, you know, uh, it, I think it, the game's changed a little bit on, on how uh, how these guys get out there and beat the ground. I mean, they're out there doing a good job and getting to know these players as, as good as you can. But, but uh, you know, the colleges have made it harder to get to get to know the players. And, you know, you really have to start earlier and, and, and get to know these kids in high school. I hope they made it harder. Well, just access. I mean – you know, when, when, when I first started scouting, you were, you know, as a, as a first year scout, you know, the old veterans would say, Hey, Hey, Mac, down the dugout, go get the lineup. You know, so you're down there, you're pulling, you know, you're writing everything on the lineup and, and uh, saying hello to the coach, the pitching coach, you, you knew all of them. And then now, you know, they, they started, you know, restricting the, the, the access onto the field and when you can uh, meet with the players, you know, we, I'd used to go out and I'd hang out after the game and, and go to, you know, somewhere where I knew all the kids would go up. And, and you know, that's how I used to do my signability. They, they'd come rolling in like, hey, 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 you know, Applebee's. I'm like, hey, over here. Hey, 
you know, come here, let, let, you want to sign? Or look, uh, I don't know where we're going to take you, but if we take you, you want to go out and play? Yes, sir. Oh, my God, perfect. You know, now you have to, at certain times, you got to meet. It's just, the game's different. Social media has just, I mean, I don't see how you can ever hide a player anymore uh, you know, with social media, the way it's gone crazy. Oh, it, it is it's a totally different game. You know, I, I want to get this anecdote in here because you mentioned the name, uh, Casey, a few minutes ago, Sid Thrift. And yep. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Sid only once before he passed. And it wasn't too uh, long before he did pass. It must have been 04. And uh, because it was Jack's, you know, obviously in 03, the Marlins hired Jack and he replaced Jeff Torborg in May. So we didn't have Jack in spring training in 03. But in 04, um, you know, the Marlins are a little bit like the Rolling Stones, you know, just won the World Series. Wherever they went, they were rock stars. Uh, you know, so it, it was exciting. But Sid Thrift was, we're in Jupiter at Roger Dean Stadium. And he happened to be in there and he happened to find me or I was fortunate enough to be sitting there. And he starts telling me Jack McKeon stories and what a personality Sid Thrift had. And he told me, he goes, did Jack ever tell you about the time he sent a batter in the minor as a minor league manager to plate with no bat? I said, no, I said, no, he said, what happened? He goes, Jack tells this guy, he goes, he goes up there. The pitcher's wild as hell. So he's like, do not swing until you get like two strikes. First pitch, breaking ball, like way off the plate. Guy comes out of his shoes, swings. Like he ends up striking out. So Jack's livid because he's he doesn't take. So the next time he went to bat, he sent the kid to bat with no bat. Oh, and this oh, is obviously oh, the minor oh, leagues yeah. in the 1950s. And then the way Thrid said, said, relayed the story is, the umpire goes, where's your bat? And the kid goes, my manager won't let didn't let me bring it. And that was like the lesson I told Jack after. I said, Jack, did this happen? He goes, I don't know, probably. <laughs> like, oh, well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the best one. And, and I know you guys are running short, but he, he, uh, we talk about the pitch calm now. And he's like, oh, shit. I started that pitch calm back in the 50s, you know, where he had, and I don't know if you knew that whole story, but he, he had got a guy that, and had, they had, Put a transmitter, yeah, wired a transmitter into the into the uniform with his pitcher, so that they could, you know, they could basically, so they could pick all, you know, it was like, hey, pick over here, do this, do this, because he was tired of them, you know, not not missing all the signs. And he's like, shoot, I started that pitch com way back when. I was like, oh, that's perfect. There's, <laughs> there's another, there's another thing, you know, he, he was far ahead of of the game. Yeah, just he, he put it for our listeners who don't know the story. He put it like a transistor radio in the he sewed a pocket into what George Bamberger, I believe, was his pitcher. Yep. And he slipped yep. it like uh, he basically gave a chest pocket to Bamberger because he was the only I guess he was astute enough and smart enough to to be able to handle, you know, getting, uh, you know, hearing instruction from the dugout. And it basically, he wouldn't even look over, and Jack would just say, throw over, because he saw the guy. And he wouldn't even look at him. He just, boom, makes a throw over, and he's picking guys off. I think in the way Jack said it, maybe he kind of dressed the story up. He said, like, the first time he, it happened, it stunned the first baseman, a ball bounced off his chest, <laughs> that type of thing, which I wouldn't be shocked either way. But, oh, but it, it was great, because his neighbor, his neighbor worked for, like, I, don't, I won't say Radio Shack, but a radio, like, uh, in, in that kind of field, where you can make the trans, you know, the, the – uh, the transmitters and, and make it work, you know, where, and then, uh, I mean, yeah, obviously I'm sure back then somebody could have stole the signs or stole the uh, frequency, but 
But uh, I, always, I always get a big kick out of that one because yeah, it's that like walkie talkies. Pretty from innovative, from the yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty smart. <laughs> Casey, we we could talk all day, um, and I know you you're going to get out. So, what do you? Uh, Jack has a big birthday. You guys do anything special for Dad? Well, we're we're going on a cruise. He's he's bringing, I believe it's thirty. Oh, 34 of us and uh, the family and uh, the, my wife, um, a couple of my nieces, nephews. It's all, you know, we, we've got about seven or eight birthdays in, in November. So uh, we're kind of celebrating all of them, you know, with with, uh, with Jack's being the, um, you know, being the main one at 93. That is, that is so awesome. Dave, anything last things for Casey before we get out of here? No, we just appreciate you coming on. We've been looking forward to this. I know our whole network is uh, very supportive of your dad's push to the Hall of Fame, and and everybody to a T loves what you've done in the game. So we appreciate you coming on here and uh, sharing with us today. Oh, absolutely, guys, and 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 uh, enjoy it, man. We just get, we got to keep the game alive and and keep it young, and and uh, just keep the stories coming. You know, it's a great game. Yeah, absolutely, Casey McKeon. Thanks so much uh, for um, a great show and such. Dave, any last announcements before we get out of here? Just a quick thank you to our subscribers, 60,000 in closing for our episode 354. Give this one five stars. won't be that hard. Write some great comments, and uh, we can keep battling the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in Major League Baseball. And to Blackout Coffee, 20% off if you do David, all caps, with the number 20 afterwards. Uh, we, we will get uh, get you 20% off your purchase. Make it as big as you want. Um We'll support our new friends with Blackout Coffee. Be awake, not woke is what they tell me. So um, we appreciate them as well. Uh, 354, Joe, can you believe it? Episode 354. That's amazing, amazing. And uh, we're going to keep rolling it along with, with guests like Casey McKeon. Happy early birthday to Jack McKeon. For all those who are decision makers, please give this man serious Hall of Fame consideration. Uh, we could talk all day. His, his resume speaks for itself. Um, and with that, uh, you know, we'll be back. Uh, we got the holidays coming up a little bit. Uh, Dave will give announcements at the right time about how program is going through Thanksgiving. But in the meantime, uh, thanks to all our listeners. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'm Joe Frasaro, man on second, and we are out of here. Take care of our own, you cross that line, it won't take long for you to